Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, first official day of summer, Aaron. Also, supposed to be the longest day of the year. Today was the day that the very first episode of Secret Invasion, the latest limited series that Marvel Studios has produced for Disney+, Plus, uh, dropped on that subscription streaming service. Aaron and I will be talking about that show, as well as David Gelb's new Stan Lee documentary that debuted on Disney+, Plus this past Friday, June 16th, already uh, generating a little controversy. We'll be talking about those two shows in the second half of today's show. We'll also be paying tribute to Ang Lee's Hulk, which came out 20 years ago this week, Aaron. In fact, yesterday, the 20th, is official 20th anniversary. Then that film was back in the news this week. And speaking of news, uh, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Typically, we start each week's show with a quick look back at the box office. All anyone in the industry could talk about this past weekend, how The Flash and Pixar's Elemental underperformed at the box office. The Flash sold $55 million worth of tickets in North America. Elemental sold $29.6 million worth of tickets, which when you cost $200 million to make, and by the way, that's reportedly what both the flash and elemental cost to make not 200 million dollars combined but rather 200 million dollars each those are not the sort of numbers you want to see over your opening weekend in north america on the other hand just yesterday sony pictures animation uh, announced that spider-man across the spider-verse has sold to date $500 million worth of tickets worldwide, and that's just 19 days after being released to theaters, and that's where you want your movie to be. Oh, by the way, before we we blow past The Flash, we we talked about how Nicolas Cage is in The Flash. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the interesting thing is Kevin Smith, who actually wrote the script for that Superman movie that, that I, I want to say it was Superman Reborn. I'm, I'm blanking the name of the thing. Not Superman Lives. It might be. Uh, Superman re- Lives. Superman that? Lives. Okay. 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 Well, the thing of it is, is that there's the famous story about the, how the studio head at that time forced Kevin to write a giant spider, you know, mechanical oh, spider. Yeah, the Wild Wild know. West connection. Okay. There we go. And Kevin, for years, has complained about this. That the, you know, the guy forced me to put a giant mechanical spider in the front. It was really stupid. He said, until he got to see The Flash this past weekend and saw the scene where Nicolas Cage is fighting the giant, you know, mechanical spider. And he's like, you know, 
that was actually kind of badass. Mm. <laughs> so, but they didn't have the effects budget to pull that off, or the, or oh the tech God. wizardry back then. So it would have looked hokey as hell. Excellent point. Excellent point. But I just kind of love that Kevin circled back on that idea. You know, I w- we'll glance back very quickly to the Ang Lee reference, Ang Lee's Hulk. Mm-hmm. Had mm-hmm. Favreau not been the first director of the MCU, because he's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. been credited for creating the blueprint of an MCU movie. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if Ang Lee were the first one to make an official MCU movie with, with that Hulk and like that being the blueprint where you've got the comic panels? In the in the film, would that carry over through all of the? And don't get me wrong, I thought Ang Lee was an inspired choice after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He was, mm-hmm. you know, the buzz word of of like a, a number of years there for stellar action sequences. So yeah, when he was you know tapped to direct, I was very eager and I liked what he did. You know, he swung for the fences with that movie. And but it's just imagine retrospect looking back. Can you imagine if that were the blueprint for everything going forward? What our comic book movies would look like today bordering on frightening but you know back then it was like it was an inspired choice and this is why i have to wait to the second half of the show folks because we're going to continue this conversation i mean you're not wrong a lot of the stuff you cited were were things that personally excited me about this movie back in 2003 but then all right second half of the show we'll talk about it shortly by the way not all good news coming out of Sony this week. Uh, on last week's show, we were talking about how El Morto, the Spider-Man spin-off movie that Sony has in development, the one that stars Bad Bunny as the wrestler who gains superpowers when he puts on a, a mystical mask. Yeah. Last week, Aaron, we were talking about how the writers strike and the fact that this film was, the trades were reporting, was supposed to go in production in August, but had this delivery date of January 12th of of next year. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of like, I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, earlier this week, Sony actually pulled El Morto off of its release schedule. Like altogether, not even rescheduled, just gone? They cited two reasons. One, of course, is the writer's strike. But the other one is Bad Bunny's touring schedule. And... I'm not sure when the Spider-Man spinoff will 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 be put back into production. Does this happen to coincide with the release of the Craven trailer? <sighs> because okay. uh, that <laughs> when that came out. Yeah. I mean, you know, the old rule of you don't have anything to, nice to say, you shouldn't say anything at all. So there should just be about five minutes of silence for me for <laughs> coming up now. But it, it, it aspires to be Morbius. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> that's wow. I know that oh, cold. oh, I, you know, I, I, the referee would step in at this moment. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. All the blows are supposed to be above the way, sir. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Have you seen it? Have you seen the trailer? I, just I have. I have. And again, you know, the interesting thing is they deliberately advertise it as the red band trailer. So it was Yo. supposed to be that much edgier i mean i still have problems with the whole rhino being able to transform into a rhino i think that's just wrong and stupid and then mm-hmm. uh the, the someone had posted online like that they straight up ripped off i believe it was Catman, who's like a dc character but mm-hmm. the panels that they had put up from the comic book were pretty mm-hmm. much the trailer of him you know going to shoot the lion and dad you know saying something about the mother being weak so the boy is weak and that whole like Mm -hmm. paternal angle was 
in the comic as well as in that trailer. And I'm like, yeah, because when when I watched it, none of that looked like a Craven movie up until they, you know, put him in the little coat thing or whatever at the at mm-hmm. the end. And it was like, all right, well, that kind of looks like the character, but this isn't what Craven is. So, Sony, what are you doing? What, what what books are you reading where your writers come up with this and you go, yes, that's what we want to do? I don't get it. I do know I had kind of the same trepidation. I didn't necessarily make the connection of, look how Craven turned out. Maybe we don't want to do El Morto, but that's an interesting idea you're putting out there. I mean, I don't believe that they were actually concerned about a script with El Morto, so the writer's strike shouldn't matter at this point. <laughs> so, I mean, what were they doing with that? I don't even know if they if they didn't have a script. They didn't even. They just had an idea of this oh. is a character we can make some money off of. Uh, can we tap into uh, is he a world wrestling entertainment type dude or is he was he a Spanish wrestler? Uh, so, I mean, they we, they just may be trying to tap into a market, you know, by f- finding the niche entryway. And, okay. you know, I get that, but, mm-hmm. you know, you got to get, like, every single wrestling fan in the world of, like, Mexican wrestling to buy a ticket to that movie to get your money back. It's mm-hmm. it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. So, okay. Well, speaking of things that, in this case, weren't postponed, but rather canceled entirely, and that's Marvel Studios' much-anticipated return to Hall Age at this year's San Diego Comic-Con. Now, remember, Aaron, just last month, Alqua Cox, the talented young lady who's playing the title role in, in Marvel Studios' Echo, she let slip that she was taking part in a Marvel panel that was going to be staged down in San Diego on Saturday, July 22nd, which very same day that Marvel Studios made its triumphant a post-pandemic return to Hall H during the t- 2022 edition of San Diego Comic-Con. And the reason for this delay is obvious. The ongoing writer's strike, which, by the way, entered its 50th day today. And just in case you're wondering, the writer's strike that was held back 2007-2008 reached 100 days, folks. So we have a ways to go yet. Marvel Studios doesn't want to waste time in Hall H talking about movies and TV shows that have now been delayed or, or whose you know production is in hiatus. Or the fact that the show that she was probably going to be promoting is all going to drop in a single day with no fanfare and then be swept under the rug. Yeah. That might have <laughs> so, a little touch to do with it as well. <laughs> uh, perhaps. So, okay. Uh, speaking of other stuff that has been delayed, we talked on last week's show about that assembled episode that was supposed to talk about, take us behind the scenes on Amp and Lawas Quantumania that got pulled off of Disney Plus's schedule because the day that was supposed to drop. June 13th was also the day that Jonathan Majors was supposed to appear in court in Manhattan to answer those misdemeanor charges that he was uh, arrested for back on March 25th. Kind of ironic here, the uh, Disney delays that that episode assembled and Majors' court appearance gets delayed by a week. In fact, it it happened uh, a week later on June 10th. And this was a status conference, uh, Aaron. Uh, Evidently, the parties were just getting together to discuss the court case, which is on track to begin in 
August, though, you had some interesting info you came across earlier this week, right? Yeah, they had, I guess, been releasing some preliminary information of some sort that uh, mm-hmm. from eyewitnesses that, mm-hmm. I guess, were testifying. And most of these testimonies are on behalf of Jonathan Major's innocence. Mm-hmm. And so that w- made me, you know, hopeful that we can have Jonathan Majors as a bad guy, but not as a bad guy, if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. so some of those things were like the driver of the car uh, was mm-hmm. going to testify that there was no raised voices or, or you know, fisticuffs flying in, in his sight while they were in the vehicle. And mm-hmm. there was also someone at the nightclub who was going to uh, testify that the the woman was in good shape and and didn't have any bruises or or signs of injury at that time and then the last thing was uh i guess when jonathan majors got back to his hotel room or whatever he mm-hmm. had to the uh, door was locked from the inside like a bathroom door or whatever and he had to get mm-hmm. a handyman to open it and the woman was found there half naked and passed out on the floor so a lot of those things really, I, I feel right now, are supporting you know the story that that Jonathan has of his innocence, and uh, not so much uh, for for the woman who's claiming bad things happened. So hopefully that will remain true throughout the case, and and we'll be able to uh, you know celebrate on the other side of it. Well, here's hoping. Yeah. Also, want to do uh, another follow up on a story we, we did last week. Where Aaron and I were talking about why the Incredible Hulk, that Edward Norton film from 2008, uh, second official MCU film after the original Iron Man, is now on Disney Plus. And you were mentioning the news that was out there about the the rights for the Hulk and Namor uh, supposedly finally reverted from Universal over to Marvel Studios. So I made some calls, talked to some folks. Here's the official boilerplate language I get handed back. Universal's 2008 film, The Incredible Hulk, will finally air on Disney Plus now that the rights held by Universal for 15 years have reverted to Marvel Studios. Now, here's the thing, Aaron. Is it the rights for the movie only? There we go. Okay. See, that's the thing. When I said, okay, rights for movie, rights for, you know, the the whole character, what I basically got back is we sent you a statement. (laughs) So it's like... Uh, Legally, we are correct in that statement. We will not alter it by a single word. There we go. Yeah. And what makes me crazy, though, is, again, we were talking about at the, the top of today's show about Ang Lee's Hulk. So uh, what's the status on that one? Well, it's not an official MCU tied to movies, so it's not as important. Not until it becomes a multiversal thing and we end up with four different Hulks. Okay. Um, Well, we'll tell you what, folks. Again, uh, we will continue our discussion of Ang Lee's Hulk and, and what Aaron and I both like and dislike about the film on the second half of today's show. But first, this... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's start on the Disney Plus side of the street here. And uh, Aaron, did you actually get to watch episode one of Secret Invasion? I did. I did. It was nice to be back in the MCU once again. It was. It was. I I, I want to share a story, though, before we get started here. This comes from Screen Rant. And they talked about how Ali Salem, when he was signed to do Secret Invasion... He was actually told not to read any of the comics from the Secret Invasion crossover event. And just to be clear here, there were eight issues of this limited series, plus several tie-in books that Marvel Comics published from April through December of 2008. Here's the direct quote from Salem. When I took on this job as director, I didn't write the script. So a lot of the story-driven decisions were made by Kyle Bradstreet and the other team of writers that we had. The first thing I was told was, don't read the comics. Uh, They'll have nothing to do with what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. So what they seem to be doing here, at least based on episode one, is it's really kind of a Cold War story, right? In fact... It kind of reminded me of Captain America Winter Soldier of, you know, from 2014, but much, much darker. Uh, what about you? I would kind of almost equate it more to uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, type of oh. uh, equation. Because okay. you don't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. Anybody mm-hmm. could be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And you do see that, you know, where there might be a character that you've always trusted and all of a sudden it turns out that they weren't who they th- seem to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of that play throughout the series. I was mildly shocked mm-hmm. to see a, a character with a name, a proper mm-hmm. name in the MCU, mm-hmm. get shot and appear to die. And I was and Im- immediately thought, you know, uh, Coulson died once. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to cross my fingers and, and hope that that named character comes back in a yeah. future episode, maybe with a, a limp or, you know, holding mm-hmm. their side. Oh, they just graze me in the middle of my gut. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I don't think I've, I've seen this take on Nick Fury to date in the MCU. I mean, the, this is a damaged, wounded guy. And, and more to the point, there were a, a, a lot of people making a very big deal about you came back from the blip different. And had you gotten that from any previous um, appearance of Nick since, since the blip? No, I haven't. And I haven't seen it from any other character carrying any sort of post-traumatic blip stress either. Yeah. And so it does seem like out of left field, you know, very Mm -hmm. out of place, especially for Nick Fury's character, who's probably seen the heavy shit uh, in, in all of his career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that doesn't quite line up. So maybe, I don't know, maybe he had a different experience from everybody else in the blip. I don't know. 
but uh, yeah, right now, I mean, it's it's hard to put any judgment on the show because it's only the oh, very yeah. first chapter of uh, how mm-hmm. many episodes are we getting? Eight, nine, ten? Uh, six. Oh, just actually. six. Just six. Okay. But it was a decent length. I, I mm-hmm. felt, you know, like I got a full episode, whereas, you mm-hmm. know, some of those other shows, it seems like just as soon as they start moving the credits mm-hmm. are rolling and you're like ah oh, damn so mm-hmm. this one had it felt like it had a room to breathe room to start you know establish its story it didn't it didn't feel short um and yeah i mean since half of the characters are probably in disguise it's kind of hard to know who's telling the truth what's going on what's good what's bad uh we're gonna have to just go through the twisty windy story that they end up telling us over the next five episodes now i'm looking forward to it same thing here I, you know no i think you you summed it up beautifully it, it was a nice start i i have to admit kind of intrigued by this take on nick fury but let's see where it goes by the way folks i did not and i apologize for this it let you know that you know i also wanted you to check out david gelb's uh stan lee documentary which uh-huh. dropped on disney plus this past friday but i did want to talk with you aaron about uh, there's a, a controversy now circling the, this the, the, this film okay and it's that um, members of the Kirby family I have I don't want to say they've come out against the film but they're taking issue with how much credit the filmmakers give Stan for the creation of various characters in the, you know, the Marvel comic universe that's fair I mean, Stan walks into an office and he's like, hey, Kirby, I had this idea for a kid. He's uh, he's a Spider-Man, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, draw something. <laughs> and he's got to sit there and figure out, okay, you know, what's this costume look like? And, you know, mm-hmm. what's the kid look like? And mm-hmm. what are the various action poses and, and all that stuff? So, you know, I mean, Stan had some ideas, but ideas have to be carried out by someone else. And, uh, yeah, if you're doing all of the artwork, which, by the way, has mm-hmm. been iconic as hell mm-hmm. since the 1960s, because every single time they make the tiniest little change to a Spider-Man costume, everybody bitches about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they'll go back to the classic red and blue, and then there will be a couple of fans who go, you know, I didn't mind the other one so much. And then you get these cult little offshoot but it's always it always goes back to the red and blue no matter what after after a little while it's like all right back to the red and blue traditional and and what's kind of interesting is steve ditko was brought up and and in fact you know, we were just talking in the last show about losing john ramita senior mm-hmm. and you know that if you think about how these artists help create the comics that we love and but again you know that when you get into this area of well who created the, the the character originally it, it, mm. it does get murky and i i was lucky enough to get to interview stanley uh, relatively late in his life that it was that brand new well then brand new animated series for the disney channel about uh spider-man in his high school years and to get to interview clark Gregg and stan at, at, at the same press event and stan has told the same stories thousands of times so they're beautifully honed and polished and you know he knows where all of the gasps and the laugh lines are so i mean i stan was stan stan was exactly who i expected him to be and i honestly think that the part of of stan lee's career that he just does not get credit for 
is that before there was social media, Stan, if you think about the letters page in, right. in the Marvel comics, the level of engagement that you saw there was all because of Stan. The, the Marvel Marching Society, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, uh, all of that stuff. That, that Stan's soapbox. No, that's exactly. And it's just sort of like, I, I feel like people forget how much of a project, you know, the success of a project is based on promotion. And I, I would argue that Marvel wouldn't have been nearly as successful in the 60s and 70s. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I do not mean to dismiss the contribution of Jack Kirby or, or Steve Ditt or, or Romita. But the fact that you could turn to that letter page and there was Stan responding to the, the Marvel faithful. Mm -hmm. What other comic? I, did, did you ever read the letters page for DC? Did DC even have a letters page? I'm, I, I, you know, to be honest, I don't remember. And but there was also, I don't think, a, a single voice for the company for DC either. I mean, like they yeah. had Jim Lee, you know, for yeah. a little while. Yeah. But it was it wasn't like a consistent there for mm -hmm. decades and decades and decades. Mm -hmm. like Stan was even when he wasn't there he mm -hmm. was still out like selling his own you know books memoirs or, or touring or whatever but they were always yep. like Marvel stories my time back at Marvel the other thing mm -hmm. about those stories that he's told a thousand times mm -hmm. is the first like 30 to you know 50 times they probably weren't the best version of that story. They were probably no, the most honest no. and truthful version of the story. Yes. And then he'd be like, yeah, but you know what? I got a really good laugh at, at the five-minute mark. You know, if I just kind of cut out minute, you know, two and a half mm. to four and a half and kind of jump right to it, it'd be a better story. And uh, by the way, when you're being interviewed and they're looking for just, you know, little clips and sound bites, oh, yeah. you, you've got to yeah. learn how to condense your story so they get only the good stuff. And uh, so I think after years of telling the story of how he invented Spider-Man, yeah. by default of him wanting to tell a good story, ends mm -hmm. up eliminating a lot of people that helped him along the way. I think you nailed it one there. I, you know, in fact, I, I will tell you from my years of interviewing old animators or, or imagineering veterans or, or, or that sort of thing is that people will trot out their dinner party story that they have honed and polished and right it doesn't matter that it's truth adjacent mm -hmm. you know it just it's like this is the story i tell now you know and people seem to really enjoy it don't let the truth stand in the way of a good story and let's not overlook the fact that we're getting into the 2000s in fact you know uh, you know we'll be talking shortly about ang lee's hulk and remember, one of the fun moments in that film, I want to say you're 20 minutes in and Eric Bana is walking out of the building, but who's walking into the building? The two security guards and one is Stan Lee and the other one is Lou Ferrigno. Right. Let's face it, a lot of the affection that people have today in regard to Stan Lee is... Oh, there's Stan's cameo again in an MCU film. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were always well-written and funny. You know, <laughs> I have a package here for Tony Stank. They were just so well done. But but face it, Kevin Feige and Disney had an agenda there. They, they wanted Marvel to have a Walt Disney. They wanted that sort of kindly grandfather figure there in the mix. And I would argue the Stan Lee that we know from the MCU really has little or nothing to do with the, the Stan Lee who actually worked on the Marvel comics. 
but he was just as beloved because of, of those wonderful little cameos. So tell you what, I, I, this coming week, if you can check out episode two of Secret Invasion and then the Stanley documentary, I'd love to get your take on it uh, about what you feel they got right and what they, that they got wrong. And speaking of, of right and wrong, Ang Lee's Hulk, which, uh, by the way, I, I thought you did a wonderful job on the, on the front half of the show of sort of summing up. I, I, I mean, you're not wrong that that comic panel uh, visuals uh, conceit they used during the film was was really striking. Mm-hmm. And I would I would argue there are Hulk things in that movie that they get so right, like the battle in the middle of the desert yeah. with the tanks. Yeah. Oh my God. Also, there's that, that sequence where the Hulk does that amazing leap and travels miles and yep. then just continues up. I mean, that was straight out of the books, and, and I loved that. But but then the, the Hulk has unresolved daddy issues. Yep, that was kind of uh, my one gripe about it, too, was this is, uh, this is where you're going with it, huh? Okay, I guess. That and the... Well, I, I actually remember reading, you know, I want to say it was Premier Magazine that did this amazing story about the development of it. And and Ang Lee wanted the Hulk story to be based somehow in, in nature and reality. And he he zeroed in on the sea anemone. Right. <laughs> and yep. it, it was like, well, you know, that that's why I, I go to Marvel movies is because, you know, I, I want them tied to nature. And I kind of get a lot of it because they give mm-hmm. you that little montage in the beginning of the film of the experimentation. And mm-hmm. was something, it was like a jellyfish that turns green or whatever. But they're trying go. to explain little elements of where the Hulk comes from. So when he does mm-hmm. get his gamma blast, mm-hmm. not only does he not die from it, but mm-hmm. he's enhanced by it. And, it. and if it would kill normal people, then, well, mm-hmm. then how the hell did Bruce survive? And so, uh, yeah, I guess he's just trying to logic his way through that a little bit mm-hmm. of, uh, we got to explain this because to me, it doesn't make sense. I get mm-hmm. it. I don't even want to get into the Hulk dogs or, or that sort of thing. Yeah. They, but the, the weird thing is for a movie I wanted to love, but liked, uh, you know, 20 years later, there's still a lot of stuff I remember very vividly from this thing, whether it's the, you know, the Eric Bana shaving and, you know, wiping the mirror, puny human, and, you know, and just, and there's that, that amazing transition moment where it's, it's the Hulk is now coming out of San Francisco Bay and walking up the street to her and in the process, transforming back into uh, Bruce Banner. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, there's a lot of stuff in it that works, but at the same time, I just feel like, if somebody had just been able to pull Anga aside and it's like, you're trying too hard here. Just have some fun. You know, it's the Hulk. I mean, the scene where he catches the missile, bites off the warhead and spits it back at the helicopter uh, was enough for the price of admission just for that one little clip. So, yeah, there's a lot of fun, great moments. There are. There are. Like the, uh, what is it? When, when he's on the jet and the pilot is, <laughs> is taking it into the upper atmosphere to try to knock him out. Yeah. You know, the, now, again, see, this is the thing. When you could talk chapter and verse of a, a film like that 20 years later, there's clearly good stuff in it. Yep. If I'm being honest here, I actually liked this Hulk better 
than the Edward Norton one from four years later. Mm-hmm. When, you know, but for me, it wasn't until 2012 when Mark Ruffalo took on the role. And it wasn't necessarily the Hulk has to carry an entire film. It's just the Hulk is there in the mix where Mm -hmm. it finally felt like, okay, you figured it out. So to now circle back to that weird little bit of info from Disney to the effect of the film rights have reverted back to Disney, but it's back to Marvel. But just that one movie. Yeah. No, I guess, you know, the one thing that we can chart pretty well is it's hard for a specific character to have a a story arc and change and evolve when Mm -hmm. you have like four or five movies it's like you know Bruce Willis and Die Hard Mm -hmm. Bruce Willis and Die Hard started off as a cop in an Mm -hmm. awkward situation by Die Hard live free or Die Hard he was like Mm -hmm. a flipping superhero jumping motorcycles into helicopters Mm -hmm. like that that went to ridiculous places however Mm -hmm. The Hulk has had a pretty extraordinary arc if you look at where he started off as, you know, puny god and Mm -hmm. then works his way through Thor Ragnarok where he's just Mm -hmm. the Hulk and and Mm -hmm. living his life like that to he comes back to Earth and now he's smart Hulk Mm -hmm. and he's able to speak and whatnot. I mean, he's had a lot of of growth for being a non-title character. You know, they don't have a Hulk movie. But, uh, yeah, they've had a good evolution of him. And and remember when last we saw him coming to the family party, bringing his son along. Yeah. And character's in an interesting place. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens going down the line with this character. Oh, oh, oh uh, just to circle back to something we, we talked about at the top of the uh, second half of the show. Alice Allen being told, you know, don't read the book, you know, don't read The Secret of Asia. This actually happened in Disney history as well. That, um, in fact, the, the Sherman brothers uh, once told me the story about when Walt Disney assigned them to write the score or, or songs for the score of The Jungle Book back in the early 1960s. And, you know, Walt called them into the office and said, okay, we're making a movie version of this Rudyard Kipling book. And the first thing I want you to do is not read the book. And he literally tosses this over his shoulder. And it's like, okay, let me tell you what the story of this movie is. And just, you know, lays it out that it's like, Phil Harris is a bear. You know, and it's a, Walt had in his head how to do this. So right. I, I guess this is Kevin Feige channeling for Walt. It's like, I got all right, Secret Invasion, lovely title. Don't read the comic book. The problem with the reading the book is you end up getting beholden to your favorite part, and mm-hmm. then you get to the script for the movie or the series, and you're like, hey, man, why don't you have the thing with the bears in it? Uh, well, we didn't have room for, or budget for the bears. No, you got to have the bears, man. W- whatever that thing is that they're, they're loved to. And especially if the comic books were dealing with a different you know, mm-hmm. situation of a Secret Invasion. And mm-hmm. right now we're trying to keep the MCU as we know it a cohesive thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, they're going to have to go in different directions. And might I add, mm-hmm. I am mighty, mighty thankful that I'm having a small break from multiverse storyline. <laughs> I mean, I, seriously, it's like, I get it. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and multiverses mm-hmm. with all the different Kangs and Loki's going to be back into multiverse action in a little while. And yeah. uh, and we got a Secret Wars coming up and, and Multiverse of Madness with Doctor Strange. And hey, man, a spy show. 
cool. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just need French vanilla. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Now, oh, speaking of weird Disney-related ties, you shared a story when we were pre-gaming today about the upcoming episode of 32nd Street. That uh, Actually, that's, that's not the upcoming. That's going to be in two weeks. We just, ah. we just recorded the episode that's coming out tomorrow. Okay. It's it's clickbait. Tom Cruise is going to confirm this one mind-blowing controversial trait on the next 32nd Street. And, uh, of course, you'll listen. And, uh, no, we will never reveal any mind-blowing controversial trait of Tom Cruise. It's clickbait. It's uh, something tasty and juicy. I equated it to Chewbacca on the forest moon of Endor, smelling that juicy piece of meat, and he just couldn't resist himself, so he had to take it and sprung a trap, and everybody got caught. The end. So... Learn what clickbait is and stay away from it. Okay, duly noted. Uh, well, uh, toward that end, we try not to do clickbait here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, but we do have a couple other shows. If you have the time, we'd love you to check out. Uh, we have, of course, uh, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. I am waiting for the return of Drew Taylor, who has been traveling the globe. He was in France at Annecy. He was in Rome for the red carpet premiere of uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And I'm sure he will be back with all sorts of amazing stories in the coming week, which we will then put up on fine tuning. We need to get a new looking at Lucasfilm out the door. Beyond that, uh, we also do the social media thing. Uh, Aaron, where can folks find you there? Find me contently at Twitter at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. I also do the Twitter thing. Uh, likewise, Instagram. Uh, look there at under Jim Hill Media. Over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Beyond that, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street. That would be great. Uh, also, uh, like I said, if you uh, really like what you heard here, you, uh, it would be great if you went over and signed up for Bandcamp. And that way you can hear the, uh, the interview Len and I just did with Jonathan Ackley, the former Imagineer who worked on... Uh, what is it? The Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure attraction, likewise Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. Some great stories to share about the interactive games in the parks. And I guess for now, that's going to do it. So thanks for listening, and Aaron and I will be back soon. <laughs>